Sí. As we get started, I just want to take a moment. Our family um, has been so blessed. Uh, the, the pounding, the pastor appreciation uh, that you have done for us. I don't think we quite realized what a blessing that was going to be on the front end of that, but it's been um, such a beautiful thing. We had to actually go out and buy a freezer. <laughs> so, thank you. Uh, it's been, uh, it's incredible. The kids have, have been so blessed. We have so much Nutella in our pantry now that they are like... <laughs> <laughs> Every week it's like, and there's more Nutella. This is awesome. <laughs> it's like the treasure trove. Um, so thank you. Thank you. That is such an incredible blessing, not just in the provision that it is, but the care and the thought and the thoughtfulness that, that goes along with that. So uh, we are so grateful. So grateful. One other um, piece uh, besides that is just uh, on the seats kind of around, they're kind of scattered throughout the room. We just wanted to take a moment um, we realized in a meeting a few weeks ago that uh, over the next couple months, there's a lot that we're going to be asking, a lot of different opportunities for, uh, for us to participate, for us to give back in different kinds of ways. And so it doesn't feel like, uh, what we didn't want to have happen as we were talking, it, it, it sounded like, man, this could make it feel like for somebody that uh, we're constantly asking, right? We're constantly putting our hands out. We're constantly saying, hey, would you give to this thing? I said, what if we just uh, took a moment at the very beginning of, of this season that's kind of like a, a give back kind of season and just gave you a heads up on here's all the things that are coming our way. Uh, here's all the different opportunities. This is so you don't feel obligated to participate in every single one of them, but to be able to maybe put it before your family and say, what do you think? Is there one of these that we'd like to participate in? Just so we can see it coming, just so we know uh, what to expect. And so um, just an opportunity to provide some clarity on the front end, to understand maybe some timelines, understand the, 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 the timing of, of different gifts. Um, not to create obligation, not to create additional like, giving anxiety or anything else like that, but just to say this is what's coming. Uh, if you'd like to participate, if you feel led to participate in any or all of these um, opportunities, we just want you to know about it. This morning we are uh, continuing in a series that we're calling Heroes, right? This is a, a story, it's a collection of six uh, stories that for a variety of reasons, right? And, and the, the, the people that are contained within these stories or the, the pieces of the stories that are being drawn out of the text are, um, are people who are heroes not because they're perfect, right? We've got to get that clear. Not because they always acted heroically or that they always got it right. Um, but in these moments that were significant, there's a particular moments that, that have a deep impact. And in these moments, they, they got it right. Right, these moments that we can look at and say, look, if we, could, if we could live our lives consistently aligned with the way they lived in this specific moment, then, then we're getting somewhere. Right? Then our lives are going to be marked by something that's, that's better than maybe what they would have been marked by up to this point. And so this morning we're looking at the story of David. And there are so many. There are so many moments that, that we could look at. There are so many moments that we could say, that was a hero moment in the life of David. There's also a ton of moments throughout David's life where we say, that was off the mark. Right? That was... That was wrong. That just wasn't right. And so we have kind of that tension because these are human beings. These are real people. These are not just a collection of stories. These are people that, that lived and breathed and walked and, and messed up and got it right. And it's a, it's a much more complex thing. But we're drawing out specific moments saying, this moment. And this morning, we're looking at some specific moments. We're really an arc of David's story that um, just shows what could be in our own lives. Emily Dickinson, um, a poet, wrote... Uh, wrote this looking at the story of David and kind of applying David's story to her life. And she says this, I, I took my power in my hand and went against the world. T'was not so much that, as, as David had, but I was twice as bold. And she said, I aimed my pebble, but myself 
Was all the one that fell? Was Goliath too large or was myself too small? This idea of the underdog, right? We take David's story and we think this is what it looks like for us to face the thing that we are, are, are probably not likely to win against, right? So that she's looking at kind of the world, looking at the things that she's facing and saying, this is my, my David and Goliath moment and here I am, the underdog. All I have to fight with is, is this little pebble that, that's, that's my, my, my power that I've taken in my hand up against this Goliath. And we take this story and we say, David's story is an underdog story, right? And we, we're, we're, we're kind of culturally so drawn to these kinds of stories. They, we see them in Disney movies, right? It's like you, you cheer for the team that's the underdog, right? It can't be the winning team that you cheer for. You know that's not the way the story is going to go. You, you follow the underdog and we cheer for the underdog story, and so we look at David and we say, well, David's the underdog. We look at ourselves and we say, well, well we're the underdog. With the great big world that's around us, with, with all the things that we're facing, then, then our lives really are, are an underdog kind of story. We love cheering for the guy who has no real chance, that, that he'll somehow dig deep and overcome, that we can experience or see or, or perceive someone doing something extraordinary. Or maybe we love to see when someone discovers in themselves some kind of unknown, game-changing ability, right? The, the kid that hasn't scored a single goal all season long, all of a sudden, like, went, scores the winning goal in the, the state championship, right? These are the, the, the movie lines that we see over and over again. And we say, I didn't know that they had that in them. But the problem, the problem with the underdog story, the problem with the, these stories that are so wrapped up in, here's this, this, this big enemy, and here's within us the, everything we have to, to fight. We've got to figure out a way to, to overcome all the, the obstacles, overcome the kind of like disconnect between who they are and who we are or what the enemy is and, and who we are. The problem with the underdog story is that we think it's all about the underdog. Right, that we think it's just about the underdog story, especially when we're talking spiritual lives, especially when we're talking us against the things that we face as we go about our lives, that, that it's somehow finding in ourselves this, this like hero capacity, finding in ourselves something that's, that, that's significant and forgetting that our underdog story, the one that we're living out, the one that we're living in as we go about our days is, is part of a much, much bigger story. The other the other problem, or one of the other problems with, with this idea is that um, we tend to think that once an underdog, always an underdog, right? Once an underdog, always an underdog. In other words, the story really is fully contained within that heroic moment, within that kind of like significant overcoming kind of moment that, that we tend to think in our own lives, we tend to think in other people's lives that, that if they functioned at one point, or if I functioned at one point as an underdog, then, then it's underdog for life, right? It's, it's never going to change in that. That we forget that there is preparation that happens in our underdog story. There's preparation that happens when, when there's a mismatch between the enemy and, and us. That there's this, this preparation that God brings us through as we face battles, as we go through things, as, as we face what seems insurmountable and God continues to grow us, continues to strengthen us. That sometimes part of being an underdog is, is, is a season of preparation from, from where we are to where we're called to be. Step by step. By step, And this is the journey of David. This is the journey that when we lean in and when we listen to David's story that we see from very, very humble beginnings to, to the king of Israel, right? Step by step by step. We're looking um, at, at 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. So two, kind of a big swath of scripture because there's three significant moments in David's life that we're going to be looking at together this morning. And we're starting in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's the story of 
kind of picking up from the Samuel story, uh, Samuel is now coming to anoint the next king of Israel. Saul, the current king, of, has, has, has messed up royally, has, has not operated in a way that was faithful to, to what his calling was. And so Samuel is now going and he's going to anoint the next king. And so when they arrive, this is Samuel, now his, his party that's traveling and he goes to this place and there's this family that in particular that God had told him to go to and said the, the next king is among this family. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and, and, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Right? Here's this, this brother of David and um, Samuel, when he's looking out, perceiving, this is who, would, who, who looks like they might be the next king. Who looks like they might be the, the person that God would, would call up, the kind of person that, that Israel would follow. Uh, verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider uh, his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at people at things the way people look at. Uh, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David, over the course of his life, part of why David for me is a hero, part of why David for us is, is someone that's, that's worth, at least in some of these specific moments, some of the, some of the decisions that he made are, are cautionary tales and we should not follow, follow his patterns. But, but in this moment, or in some of these moments, these are the moments that, that are worthy of reflection, worthy of replication. Because David... In some ways, as, as God is speaking the, to Samuel, saying the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord does not look at outward appearance. The Lord doesn't look at the things that, that people look at, but the Lord looks at the heart. David, over the course of his life, over the course of his operating and, and navigating life, lived out this Lord looks at the heart reality. Right? It's as if that became a thing for him that was, this is the, the significant way of operating throughout my life that... Um, he spends a significant amount of time focusing on inward kinds of things. So we look at the book of Psalms, in particular the Psalms that, that are attributed to David, and we see a lot of significant, or a lot of moments of, of God, look, look in my heart, creating me a clean heart. Right? Dealing with this kind of like inward things alongside challenging circumstances, alongside external circumstances that, that aren't ideal, that, that don't fit with, with this kind of like simple way of living. Uh, his circumstances, David's circumstances, we talk about the Lord looks at the heart, his circumstances don't seem to matter as long as he's connected with God. This is why David is a hero. This is kind of the foundation for the, the way that, that his story unfolds. So in verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, continuing. So Samuel, Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? And Jesse answers, they're still the youngest, but he's out tending sheep, right? This insignificant kind of guy, this, this one who's, who's really just worthy of tending sheep, that his dad, when he's parading his sons before Samuel to, to decide who might be the next king, doesn't even consider that David might be the one. But Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so Jesse sent for him and, and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went on to Ramah. So you have this moment, this, this moment where David is his identity, right? This, this, the identity that we gain from our, the way our father looks at us, from the way our families look at us. You've got David who's, who's so insignificant that he's off tending sheep that he's not even included in what's happening. Brought in circumstances drastically change, right? He goes from shepherd to the, the future king of Israel, the anointed and future king of Israel. 
And these circumstances change. And those kinds of circumstances have the potential of changing a person, have a potential of saying, well, now I'm too good to be a shepherd. Right now I'm too good to do those former things because God has placed this calling on me that, that's more significant than that. And so I'm going to lean into the future instead of dealing with the present reality. The story continues. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. And when he plays, then the evil spirit from God comes upon you. You will feel better. There's a difficult understanding. This, this particular section of the story is one of those that, that's hard for me to understand because we, we look at that and there's so much conversation when you, when you study this, this passage to understand what's happening in here. There's, there's theories that are saying, well, this is um, this evil spirit. You could translate it, maybe a more helpful way of translating it. We see like a harmful spirit, which would be that, that tormented. Maybe it's because Saul has, has kind of strayed from alignment with God, that, that God is, is sending something in his life to bring him back into alignment, that's, that's sending something that, that causes pain. Right? It could, there's, there's lots of different ways to understand this, but, but the reality is here's Saul, the king of Israel, now being tormented in this situation that there's no peace for him. And so his, his servants that are around him say, well, what if we got someone to come in and play music? What if we got someone to come in that, that could be a person who could bring peace to you? And so Saul says to his attendants, verse 17, find someone who plays well and, and bring him to me. And then one of the servants answered, and this is where it's, it's curious to understand how this servant even knew who this guy was, who this David guy was. But he says, I've seen a son of Jesse of, of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. And he speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And then he says this at the, at, the, at the end of verse 18, and the Lord is with him. All right, here's, a, here's an attendant of Saul who has now seen and perceived that, that God may not be with Saul in the same way that, 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 that God is with David in this moment. And so then Saul sent messengers to Jesse, verse 19, and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. With the sheep up to this point has now become a defining characteristic of David, right? You look at, this, at his story and you say, well, this is, this, is, this is who this guy is, that he's the guy who is consistently with the sheep, right? The, the description that was given to Saul was this mighty warrior, this, this brave man, this one who knows how to play the lyre, who, who speaks well, is, is, is a good-looking guy. And that what Saul translate that, translates that into is he as he considers how to make this invitation, he says, could you send your son, you know, the one who is tending sheep. And woven throughout this story is this sense of identity. Woven throughout this story is this sense that, that circumstances or present vocation or, or present realities are, are, are the only thing that's, that's true. And so, so there's this tension that's laid out between the way Saul is perceiving and the way others are speaking to David and, and who David really is. So with the sheep has become this defining characteristic, but Maybe if you're talking about sending for a specific person over the whole course of Israel, obviously Saul wasn't aware of, of this reality, but this, the anointed future king of Israel might have been more precise. Right? The anointed future king of Israel uh, would be more precise and a better identifier than the guy who's tending sheep because there's lots of guys who are tending sheep. Saul's disconnect in this moment. He hears his attendant say, the Lord is with him. And Saul responds and sends the invitation and says, uh, send the one who's with the sheep. It's as if Saul can't quite see it in this moment. It's as if Saul can't quite understand the, the, the thing, that there's this, this disconnect. There's this disconnect between his identity, the way that Saul is seeing David, this, this Lord who is with him became with 
the sheep for us as we navigate life, as we operate, as we move forward, we have to recognize and realize that not everyone who speaks identity kinds of things over us has the right to speak identity over us, right? Not every person who would tend to, to, to want to say a phrase about us or, or to give us a name or to make a description of us has the right to make the description because here is, here is the, the, you look at the, the reputation that David has, the sense that other people have about David and it's, he's a good guy, Right? He's, he's a heroic kind of guy. He's a warrior. He's, he's, he's all these sorts of things. He's the anointed future king of Israel. And yet Saul speaks and says he's the one with the sheep. Not everybody, right? Not everybody has the, has the right to define who we are. We have to be careful who we let define us. And the beautiful thing, and part of what in this moment that makes David a hero as he moves forward is that, that he's careful about who gets to define him. He's careful about who gets to name him. He's careful about what becomes the thing that defines him, that, that David derives his identity from something deeper and better, even than, than future king, uh, than his own reputation, that he, he identifies himself as, as something better than that, as something deeper than that. Verse 20, So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his armor bearers. And then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. And then whenever, verse 23, whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, then, then David would take up his lyre and play. And then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So we're, we're kind of phase two of this, these three kind of roles that David will fill. He's a shepherd. He's this musician in, in Saul's household bringing peace to Paul, or peace to Saul. And then we're going to see him as a warrior in a moment. But here is David, the, the future king of Israel, bringing comfort to the current king of Israel. That I think it would be hard to overstate for us to, to overstate the, the, the significance of, of David watching Saul struggle. Right, here's the future king watching the, the current king struggle in this disconnect between God, this, this battle between Saul and God, this, this battle between the will of Saul and, and, and the will of God, that, that, that there's this torment that's happening. And here's David watching the king be literally tormented because, because the Spirit of God is, is, is at odds with, the spirit, with, with Saul's spirit. To see a king operating in a way that's separated from God. For David to have a front row seat of that. You speak of preparation. You think of what it looks like for someone to be prepared for what's next. And God has this beautiful way of, of giving him a front row seat of the cautionary tale. A beautiful way of saying, look, this is what you don't want to have happen. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when you are at odds with me separated from God in some ways. But, but David brings hope and he brings peace to Saul that in some ways he's leading before he's in charge, that he's, he's teaching those around the king what it looks like to serve the king before he's the king. Right? He's giving them an opportunity to see what it looks like um, to, to serve well so that when he leads, that he's, he's taught people around him what it looks like to support the king well. For those of us who are leaders in waiting, this might be a good lesson for us to learn, to say this looks like what does it look like for us to, to serve well in the, in the waiting? For us to say, well, I'm not quite in charge yet, but, but this is what it looks like to support the one who's in charge. This idea of being faithful even in the time of waiting. And then we have, have David now as, as the story that maybe is the most famous story of David, this, this story of David the warrior. Picking up in 
1 Samuel 17, starting in, verse 20, uh, starting in verse 20. David is now, at this point, moving between his role at the palace and his responsibilities with the sheep, right? This is an incredible tension in David's life. This is one of those, those things that we can't even, like, we, we, we read these sentences and we read the story and we don't realize how significant the tension that existed in David's life would have been. He goes from the palace to the pasture, the palace to the pasture. He goes from being with the king and, and calming the king and being part of that and being the armor bearer for the king. And then he goes back and he tends sheep. Back and forth, back and forth. Neither of those two things are, are really his calling long term, right? He's, he's the anointed future king of Israel and yet he goes and he serves the king and then he goes and he cares for the sheep, right? This incredible tension we would if we were... <laughs> we're honest with ourselves, we would struggle with that tension, right? How in the world do I go back to being, the, you know, being a shepherd when I'm, I'm the king and now I'm even in the palace and I'm dwelling in the palace and I'm serving in the palace, right? I'm, I'm so close to, to this fulfillment of this promise that, was been, that has been made to me. I'm not going back to the pasture. I'm not going back to tending sheep. There's no way. The only way for me is forward. And yet David, in this season of preparation, he goes back and forth, back and forth, living in that tension, and so the story in verse 20 picks up here. It says this, Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd and loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. And he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. And then Israel and the Philistines were, were drawing up their lines and they're facing each other, right? The battle is beginning. David is getting this front row seat on this. And David, verse 22, left his things with the keeper of, of supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. And whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. This is the, the way the battle is established. This is what David is seeing, what David is experiencing. This, this guy who's gone from the palace to the pasture, palace to the pasture, back and forth, now on the battle line, watching this play out. Verse 25, now the Israelites have been saying, do you, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel, and the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Right, here's the, the, as people are watching this battle, trying to imagine, if, well, if we're going to go up and fight, it's got to be at least, at least worth it to fight. Right, there has to be some kind of benefit to us. There has to be some sort of benefit beyond just the, the, the value of fighting on, for my country, beyond the value of fighting and standing up for, for what's right. There has to be some sort of personal benefit for this. So there's this, this tension that's, that's laying out between the way that the men who are watching this and the way that they're perceiving that well, I might fight, I might lose, but there might be a huge upside, that the risk and reward, we're just trying to understand what this looks like. And then David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that, that he should defy the armies of the living God? David speaking identity, David looking at the situation saying, Do, have we forgotten who we are? Have we forgotten who we are, that this, that this guy, this one guy who may be big, he may be a, a, a significant warrior, this guy that's worthy of being feared, but I think maybe we've forgotten who we are. This, we are the armies of the living God. And so they repeated to him what they've been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. 
the men of Israel seeing Goliath as, as both this impossible challenge, but this, but this opportunity for riches and fame. And then David looking at this story, David looking at the battle that's being laid out in front of him, David with this front row seat on what's happening looks, and he sees not just this, this physical battle between a man and another man, or these, these two armies side by side, but David looks at this battle, these, these battle lines that have been laid out, the, 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 the setup of, of what's happening in front of him, and he sees not just this, this physical battle, but he looks and he sees this, this spiritual and theological battle, right? That, that this is not just about the reward, Right? Not just about the army or whoever goes out to, to face Goliath being an underdog and overcoming and, and all the, the things that go with that and the rewards that come with that and the fame that comes with that and all that kind of thing. David looks and he says, this is more than just a battle. Right? This is more than just two armies facing each other. This is a theological battle that's happening. This is a spiritual battle that's happening between the armies of the living God. Don't forget who we are the armies of the living God, and this one who's standing up and defying and, and speaking untruth. And so David, verse 32, David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. The way that God has woven David's preparation story, the way that God has woven the relationships, the way that God has woven his identity into David, David sees this happening and says, this is not right. So he says to Saul, let no one lose heart, for your servant will go and fight him. David doesn't say, for the future king is here to save the day. David doesn't say, for the one who, who brought calm to you, Saul, the one that, 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 that has seen you at your worst and has, has helped you, just, just trust me in this moment. David's identity is as one who is fighting with God. And so Saul replies, to David, verse 33, Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Right? Saul now speaking once again identity, once again speaking who David is, once again taking who David is and, and, and making him feel like or sound like something less. But David, verse 34, says this, But David said to Saul, Your servant, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. What a response, right? Isn't that, like, well, that answers that question, right? I mean, come on, Saul, what's wrong with you? He's, I have tended sheep. Don't you realize this? And you can just imagine how, how in that moment, in this, this palace or in, this, in the context of the king, with everything that's, that's kind of the trappings of the king around him, and he's, he's saying, don't you realize this, this giant that, that you're facing? Don't you realize this moment? Don't you realize that you have no chance against this warrior? And here's David, and he says, but I've been a shepherd. It just doesn't, it just seems like that would sound like such a small, right, such a small statement that it'd be so easy to discount that to make it seem like, like it's no big deal. But then he starts to explain why being a shepherd has prepared him for this moment, that, that David, I think, has wrestled well with what it looks like to be prepared, has wrestled well with understanding the seasons of life, to understand what it looks like to live in the tension between the promise and fulfillment, to, to have to operate as, as, as one who's, who's kind of in the already not yet reality. He says this, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep and when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, right? When a bear would show up, when a lion would show up, I chased after it, I went after it, I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. David says, you don't understand. You may think I'm just a shepherd, you may think I'm just one with a sheep, but the one that's with the sheep, but I have, I have fought battles, 
right? I have had to have courage. God has, has taught me what it looks like to, to chase after the predator to, to save the lamb. I know what it's like to, to have a, a battle that seems like I'm the underdog. I know what it's like to have to fight on behalf of people who, who can't stand up for themselves. I know what it's like to fight for the sheep. I know what it's like. He says, your, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of, those, one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. David continues to speak identity, continues to, to help Saul understand who it is that, that the armies actually are. And he says this in verse 37, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. And so Saul, now convinced that, that this shepherd might actually have a chance or maybe is worth at least letting him go have a try at this, sends him out. So Saul says to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. There's this whole weaving of, of Saul understanding who David is that's throughout this story. But here's David Here's David saying, look, I've been a shepherd. I've been the one who's with the sheep. I've been the one who's, who's kept the sheep. And for David, the, the hero moment isn't just the moment when he throws the, the stone and takes out Goliath. The hero moment is when he says, I understand that I'm not an underdog here. I understand that the, that the living God is on my side. I understand who I am. I understand the preparation that God has brought me through to be ready for this moment that that my resume is actually more significant than, than what Saul might realize because God has prepared me for this moment, that in the, in the season of tending sheep and in the season of, of tending the king, that, that God has been weaving something into me that, that changes the way I fight my battle, that my, my keeping of the sheep is not a waste of time. It's not even an insult to me. I'm not embarrassed by my circumstances. That tending the sheep was preparation for the calling, that, that God was sowing something into David, teaching David how to trust God, how to chase after God's heart, to not allow his circumstances, on, in good or bad, to, to dictate who he sensed that he was. It's significant in this moment that David, when he's talking with Saul, talking about this, this battle that he would like to go in and fight on behalf of Israel, does not drop or does not play what could be the ace card that says, look, Saul, you may not want me to go out and fight, but I'm the anointed future king of Israel. He doesn't lay that card on the table as the trump card. How tempting would it be when Saul is questioning him to play that card? How tempting would it be for us to, to play that? But David continues to trust God, continues to trust God's timing. And then he wraps this, this story as he's talking about his resume, as he's talking about fighting the bears and fighting the lions and saving the sheep and all, all that goes along with that. That at the end of the way he tells the story, at the end of his listing of his resume, of his life experiences that, that somehow qualify him to fight on behalf of Israel, face Goliath and, and deal with all of that that would come his way. He says, but the Lord rescued me. Right, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the bear, that saved me from the paw of the lion, that the, the Lord who rescued me will rescue me in this situation as well. That David didn't even claim to be the one responsible for his resume. Right, David didn't even claim to be the one responsible for all the things that, that he had accomplished up to this point. He says, Saul, look, God has been in my life. God has been caring for me. God has been watching over me this whole time. That David doesn't even claim to be responsible for his resume, doesn't even fall into the temptation to say, look, Saul, you don't understand, I'm such a great warrior. Saul, I mean, I've, I have taken bears with my bare hands, I've, I've fought off lions, I've done all these kinds of things, and, 
I'm, I'm certainly qualified to fight this guy. David says, look, God has, has fought for me. God has rescued me. God has rescued me, and God will rescue me again. There's no wonder why God loved David, right? There's no, there's no wonder that, that, that God says, this is a guy who's after my heart. This is a guy that, that, I, can, that I can do something through because he's, he's orienting himself around me. And so Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. And it sets up this tension between the faith of, of Saul and the, and the faith of David. Because then, as Saul says, go and the Lord be with you, Saul says, but, but before you go, right? Verse 38, Saul then dressed David in his own tunic, he put a coat of armor on him and a, and a bronze helmet on his head. And, and then David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And he says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. And so he took them off. And he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. That Saul says, David, go and the Lord be with you but you're probably going to want some armor, right? You're probably going to want all the things that, 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 that I would take with me into battle. Then he begins to put on David all the things that, that, that he thinks are preparation. Saul says, look, I understand. I understand you think you're prepared, but let me show you what prepared actually looks like. Go and, and the Lord be with you, but here's the armor. Here's all the things that, that I think you should take with me. That there's this temptation to acknowledge God with our words, but then with our actions, put our trust in the things of man. And this is the tension that's being laid out. This is the tension between, between Saul's approach and David's approach. And so David goes with his staff and with his shepherd's gear. Right? And he goes out and triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. And in verse 51, David ran and, and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. David was not unprepared. David was not surprised by the victory. David wasn't standing there going, I can't believe I hit him. Or I can't believe I took him out. I can't believe this happened. David knew who was on his side. He knew that he was part of the army of the living God. He knew what was going to happen. That he was not surprised. He didn't enter into this battle unprepared. That this, this common practice in ancient times of, of these two warriors kind of facing off as on, kind of on behalf of their armies was, was, was something that happened in a common kind of way. And usually, just like it happens here, the battle would go on because it was really like the battle, you get the hype and all these things that are happening. The, the fight is going to happen anyways, but there was momentum on the side of whoever it was that won the fight. And so, how do we go about approaching our battles? We look at David's life. We look at this shepherd, this, this kind of musician in the court of the king that, that is bringing peace, that we see then this, this warrior who is prepared for the battle of his life in a way that has this kind of calm confidence. That's so attractive, right? It's, it's such an appealing way to, to listen to the conversation and say, I wish I had the confidence of David to, to, to face Goliath, to face whatever Goliath it is that's in front of me and say, look, God has, has prepared me for this. The only reason I'm here, the only reason that I'm standing before you, Saul, the only reason that I even have a chance of, of standing before Goliath is because God has been preparing me for this moment all along. So we're a people who, who fight battles. We're a people who will maybe are, are, are fighting battles right now. And the question is, how is it that we're going about, how are we going to fight the battle? 
We all face battles, but how we face them makes the difference. We see David approaching Goliath, not as a scared kid with a rock, right? Not as a scared kid hoping that he may be able to hit Goliath just right to be able to take him out, but as a warrior, a warrior that God has and and really is preparing for this moment and the moments that would follow, that we're tempted to see this as an underdog story. We're tempted to, to see David as the perpetual underdog and not realize that God has has armed him with more than we realize, that God has armed us with more than we realize, that we don't fight alone. I think the enemy, I think the enemy loves the underdog story because it's a lie. The enemy loves the underdog story because it makes us feel like we have no chance, that the only thing we might have on our side is luck and maybe the, just, a, just enough skill to, to somehow get it right one time, that the enemy loves the underdog story because it, 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 it it, it does not show the preparation. It doesn't show the foundation on which these, these heroic moments happen. The quiet, under the scenes, or behind the scenes kind of work that God does in us to prepare us for these moments. That, that the enemy would love for us to not see the purpose and the preparation. The enemy would love for us to, to not be able to understand who we really are. The enemy would love for us to imagine that we're an underdog without people and without, without the army of the living God around us. The enemy loves the underdog story because it's a lie. Because we are, talk about our battles, we are prepared to fight. That what we are facing, God has been preparing us for. That God isn't just throwing us into a situation that, that's an unwinnable kind of scenario. That, that it could be that, that there are things that are hard. Right? It could be that there are things that feel insurmountable. It could be that, that we're literally in our lives facing our Goliath in these moments, but God has done things in us to prepare us for this moment, that this moment does not come as a surprise to God. And so we look and we say, if God has made a promise and maybe we haven't yet seen it fulfilled, we have to ask the question as, as, as a shepherd and king in waiting, what, what is it that God is preparing me? For? What is it that God's doing right now in me to prepare me for what's next? To, to look and say, what is it that God's investing in me for those seasons where we, are, where we feel like we're a shepherd tending sheep, but God has called us to so much more? How do we submit to that process? How do we submit to that preparation process well? By asking in part the question, what is it that God's investing in me? This is David saying, look what God has been doing the whole time. I was, I was tending sheep, but God was preparing me to be a warrior. I was tending sheep, but God was preparing me to be the king of Israel. How will the season of fulfillment be different because of our time spent tending sheep? What is it that God is teaching us? What is it in this tension, in this, in this preparation moment that, that once it plays out, once it's been revealed, once it's, it comes to fulfillment, how will it be different because of, of this moment, maybe right now, as, as God has us in this, this prepared-to-fight reality? I wrote in my notes, I said, the less willing we are to tend sheep, the less ready we are for what God has next, right? The less willing we are to tend sheep, the less willing we are, or the the less ready we are for what God has next. Because part of what God is doing is he's teaching us to find our identity in him, not in our circumstances, not in a position, not in a role, not in whatever it is that, that we think we're supposed to be doing. If God has us in a season of preparation, if God is taking us through something that, that is preparing us for what's next, then, then part of what we're learning, and maybe the most significant part that we're learning right now, is, is learning to find our identity in God, not in circumstances or in position. The less willing we are to tend sheep, the less ready we are for what God has next. 
we are prepared to fight. Right? For some of us, we need to just write that down and remind ourselves that as the battle comes our way. We fight with confidence, right? rooted in our identity in God, rooted in the, the fact that we are part of the army of the living God. We fight with confidence. This is David, that despite what, what Saul is seeking or speaking into him and his identity, despite the tendency to imagine that he's facing Goliath alone, fighting with confidence that's, that's rooted in the God who has prepared, that's rooted in the, the, the work that God has done, the, 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 what he has seen God accomplish in him and through him already. To fight as a person who's not alone. We fight with confidence and we fight to win. Right? We fight as a warrior, not an underdog. We fight as a warrior who's been prepared in ways that we couldn't even imagine until we step back and say, this is what God has been doing. Now I understand why God invested that in me and why, why I experienced that thing and, and why God was teaching me to, to trust him above other things. We fight to win as a warrior and not as an underdog. That, that these first two lessons, the, the, the lesson of preparation and the lesson of confidence, prepare us for this third thing, to, to fight and have, with faith to have faith in the battle, to trust God's promise, to trust what God says about you, to trust what God says about the battles that you face, to stand before the enemy, to stand before Goliath and trust what God has invested in you, and then to allow God to be glorified in your story. This is the underdog story, right? The, this idea or the, the thought of what this looks like. May we be a people May we be a people who understand the preparation, fight with confidence, and fight to win. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for truth. God, thank you for the way that you have woven our story, for the, the way that, that we can look at the story of David and understand that, that there's more going on than, than just a, a kid facing a giant. That there is this foundation of preparation, that there's seasons that God brings us through, that, that you bring us through. God, to learn to trust. To learn to trust who you say we are. To fight on the foundation of preparation. To fight on the foundation of confidence in our identity. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for the way you're weaving our story, for the way you're writing our story, for the, the invitation that you've given us. To lean in, to not see ourselves as underdogs but as part of the army of the living God. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.